To those that know Johnny D from Henry Street Records, okay? Johnny D, Johnny DeMario. He was A&R guy at Atlantic Records Promotions and A&R, and he was responsible for many, many hit records uh, on his record label, Henry Street. He signed the Bucketheads. These sounds fall into my mind, the Kenny Dope record. Those remember Armand Van Helden's Suntracks. He's now ventured into doing a book. So Johnny D has this book, and I wanted to promote it. It's, it's take a journey with Johnny D into his private collection of colored vinyl. It's journey into music, color, and other situations on paperback through Amazon. It's a great read. He went to Herb Powers. And Herb Powers, who, those who don't know who Herb Powers is, Herb Powers is a major mastering guy in the industry and mastered many records from Frankfurt Wayne all the way to Sterling Sound in New York and God from the uh, most of the big records in the 80s had that signature, the Herb Pumpkin Powers signature. And Herb gives a private list to Johnny D for the book. You must check this out. It's definitely a, a definite worth having. As well, we have this week, we have, <laughs> we have again with Sal Cremona. Let me share that screen. I got to share it for you guys. We have Sal Cremona does his, his weekly banger podcast okay and this week i'm gonna play the commercial now he's got some great talent and we'll kill the music because i don't want facebook to shut us down sal Kamuna presents dj carlin on the banger podcast and millie mills vega each playing a set this saturday to hate house nation music on the banger podcast he does it every week saturdays on Twitch and hmconair.com forward slash the banger podcast. Check this out. Give him some love. He's doing great things and he's helping to keep the DJing alive. So that ends that. And one more thing about spread love. And I want to thank all of you. We have, we have this shirt to go alongside the release on BMG Spread Love shirt that Funk Du Jour has released to commemorate the release the classic record Spread Love on BMG that's doing very well and going up the chart we have the Dr. Packer remix and of course my original version retouched the Lenny Fontana house mix Please get your shirt. Get yours today at funkdujourshop.com. Okay? And if you need more information, if you can't remember, just hit us up and we'll help you get it. And now we're going to go back to the man himself, Mr. Tony Prince, and he's got a great glass of wine. What kind of wine, Tony, do you drink first of all? Do you drink Cabernet? Is it Chardonnay? What is it? Uh I've got a rosé Provence from the south of France. Mm. Salute. Mm. I can't. Hey, listen. Yep. Did, I, did I ever tell you about me and Elvis? Well, you can tell us there now. <laughs> Come back. There's, Come on. There's the royal ruler with Elvis. The king of the Show it. 19. There's another one. There's a color one for you. The prince with the king. I just thought you'd like to see him. And also, 
I told you I used to be a singer with a band. I also had the pleasure of singing with Paul McCartney. Pull it back a little bit. Pull it back. Oh, wow. Look at that. That's me and Paul giving it some. Yeah, I've been good mates of Paul McCartney's for many, many years. Uh, yeah, I've sung with him three times, I think. We do a bit of rock and roll together when he does his uh, Buddy Holly week. He promotes Buddy Holly every year. Oh, yeah? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. He, he bought his publishing, you know, all Buddy Holly's publishing. So McCartney Productions now owns Buddy Holly songs. And he always wanted to promote Buddy every year, and he chose me as his MC. And uh, he'd often turn up with a group, and I'd go on the mic and say, are there any left-hand bass players here like to sing with me? <laughs> and he'd climb up on stage with me, and we'd rock and roll. Wow. So you know Paul that well. Can I ask you a question now about Paul? You can. Let's see, maybe you can answer this. When Michael Jackson bought the collection, the publishing rights to the Beatles were part of it. I forget. I remember Yoko Ono was involved as well, and they were bidding on it to take yeah. it back from Parlophone. Or was it EMI? I don't remember which one it was, but Michael had wound up buying it. Was he angry about that? Did he ever mention it? He never expressed that to me. Uh, I'm sure, however, that he was really pissed off. I bet he was. <laughs> I mean, if it's your product, you would like to own it. And with the money Paul's got, he would have been able to own it. And I think the deal was done without him realizing, and that's what pissed him off. You know, I think, Lord, if I remember the story, Yoko Ono said to him, I am John's wife. They should just give it to me or something like that. And he just yeah, got yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think story I was, I don't remember the story, something like that. Who knows that story is even true? You don't know. I think at that time, Paul and uh, Yoko, we're not great, the greatest of friends. You know, I think it's got better over the years. But, yeah. Hey, do you remember Billy J. Kramer? Yes. And the Dakotas? He was one of Brian Epstein's stable. He's living in New York State now. He got in touch with me on my radio station. He doesn't look anything like he used to look. It's amazing. In and a good way or a bad way? Well, I <laughs> like when he was a young, clean-shaven guy. He's got a beard now, you know. Ah, okay. Great music, if you like that kind of thing, you know. Sure. Well, anyway, you, know, funny, it's cool. you mentioned that. Huh? It's funny you mentioned the coders and stuff because I, I just last night watched the BG again. I'll, I'll go back to it. And I didn't realize how many records in the 60s the BGs had in England that was so big. Oh, Massachusetts, my. I, I never realized it. My BGs thing was from, nine, from, let's say, when Arif Martin had them. That's the ones I know because those are the records. I grew up with, you know, yeah. uh, the whole Saturday Night Fever thing, of course, you know. Well, you caught them from the Saturday Night Fever period, perhaps. That's what well, a little bit before, a little bit before. I'm talking all that, right? Yeah. Over here, New York mining disaster. That was very early on in their career. Yeah, I saw that in the in doc. I never heard that song. They said it was huge in England. I went. When no. I play Bee Gees, I mean, we've got some great uh, Bee Gees mixes on DMC. Yes, I know. Play them on United DJs Radio. And whenever I play a Bee Gees now, I've got to do what we call a BG warning. Look out, everybody, it's BG time. BG warning, BG warning. Because people just love it and they all dance and they put uh, GIFs up, you know, the little visuals and they put a BG GIF up and it's wonderful. Uh, how uh, radio can now interplay with listeners on Facebook is great. I love it. Now, I'm going to ask you something about 
what happened over here and what was going on in your side of the of the pond okay because you're in the middle of luxembourg in the middle of the disco era okay so here in 1979 we had that big burning in in chicago cubs kaminsky field the whole thing disco socks blah 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 why didn't it happen to end the same way in europe why did disco keep going and dance music where in america it was like saying it was a bad word you know what i mean disco but you keep saying it over there you kept that going even when i met everybody later it was still saying disco i was like wow we don't say that lenny i've got to tell you mate we dropped the, the the phrase disco mix club which was our full name when we launched disco mix club we dropped it. We've only ever called ourselves for many years now DMC. And people say, well, what does DMC stand for? You know, and if you look at like a label like CBS, what does CBS stand for? Nobody knows, nobody cares. So we buried the word disco for that very reason. It was uncool. Disco was not cool. We'd moved into Ibiza. We'd moved into the Winter Music Conference. We'd moved into the best DJs in the world. And people taking drugs, dancing to music. It's a totally different scene than disco. No, I know that. But the beautiful thing was you all were able to keep that fire burning. Okay, we didn't call it disco, say, but you kept the dance music popular and commercial. A lot of those records that were nightclub records went overground. Why is that in Europe opposed to America, where those records stood in the gay clubs and the underground clubs? You know what I mean? I think maybe it's because uh, Europe isn't um, fragmented so much as America. You know, I mean, you had for uh, a little while, you had the Hard Rock Cafe became the top club in in America for a while. Do you remember in Vegas? Yeah. Uh, Hard Rock Rock became a cool club. Isn't that something? Uh, Hard Rock. uh, Our DJs went out to the Mediterranean, uh, Ibiza. Uh, I went to Paul Oakenfold's tw- uh, uh, birthday party. I can't remember how old he was, but I was certainly there in Ibiza having a party with him when it was agreed between him and other DJs who were partying with us that night, said, we love this island, but let's make it happen. And what they meant by let's make it happen is let's start working here more than we have been. And so Oakenfold brought cream over Ministry of Sound came over. All these brands came to Ibiza. The big clubs could pay a lot of money for the Oakham foes of this world. And, and, and it just took off. And, of course, Ibiza didn't just cater to Brits. Everybody in Europe came to Ibiza. Even lots of Americans came to Ibiza because they knew it was the club capital of the world. And that's the great thing about it. And so here you are, you know, you're, you're dancing to Carl Cox, uh, in, in the top club in Ibiza, and he's not saying a bloody word. He's not speaking. He's just playing music. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, they're all popping pills. Don't kid yourself. They're all in the mood to dance and romance and have fun. And, uh, you know, it was unbridled, that fun in Ibiza. Um, it, 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 I used to go a lot. My son Daniel went a lot. He still does. He lives in Ibiza. Yeah, I know he's out there now. He's based out there. It's just magic, you know. If you go out on a night, you know, I, I, I can't keep up with them, you know. Uh, but I, I, I go there I, I, early on, you know, say 12, 1, 2 o'clock. I can't stay too long these days, you know, but I do go and watch it. I watch the DJ working and I watch the audience 
working the dance floor. And I know they've all popped a pill or whatever they do, but they're having incredible times. And, and that's why Ibiza is so successful. It's a combination of great music, great DJs, and a little bit of uh, help from a pill. Yeah, right, exactly. A little bit of help of E. Yeah. Excitement. <laughs> or, whatever they, or whatever they have now, you know. Well, I remember Charlie was a big thing too for a long time. The Charlie was a big thing. Don't you think it still is? Now? More yeah. so than ever. I think so. I think it's been the the last few years I've been playing out these these big disco parties. Seems to be the uh, the drug of choice these days. I can have a good time without Charlie, you know. Me too. Um, but I understand why some people want it. It just brings out, you know, gets rid of their inhibitions. Yeah, you know, God bless them. By the way, uh, our world champion this year is DJ Skills, who defended his title. He's done oh, he three times now, just like Craze did. DJ Skills, big up, man. All right, Skills. Where is Skills now? What's, what's the internet still, connection? Is, where does he hail from, Skills? Which town? He's, he's a French dude, man. <laughs> but he's, he's a, is, he Pari is he Parisian? <laughs> or is he from outside Paris? He's from outside. I can't remember what town he's from. But we have JFB in second place, runner-up this year. He's UK. He's absolutely brilliant. And then we have, listen, in third place, K-Swiss from New Zealand. That's how global this event is now. So my message to all the DJs in America is enter next year. We'll probably do it online again because I don't think COVID's going away next year. No. Live events again. So yeah. we're secure. We can still do this thing. You got to do it. You got to get, you got to do it. You can't stop it. You know, I had Michael Gray on. Michael Gray, part of Full Intention. Mike Gray worked for me for years. That's exactly where we're going to go there for a minute. And Michael had said some wonderful things about you. And he said, you know, I was fortunate enough to work under Tony's direction. Can you share that time having Michael? Uh, you know something? DMC attracted musicians. Guys who were out there doing DJing, but they had music in their soul. And Mike Gray and John Perney had a partner called John Pern. He came they, attention. Very, very creative. In actual fact, Mike Gray has got a remix of MacArthur Park out. I'm playing that on my radio show these days. It's absolutely brilliant. Mike Gray, MacArthur Park. Yes. Uh, yeah, so check that one out if you can get to it, yeah? I just run through. Can I just run through the... The other countries who did well this year. Yeah, time. go ahead. Please share it with us. There's a DJ uh, called. Hang on. Hang on. You have to do it like you're doing your radio program. Uh, <laughs> hey there, this is your Royal Ruler giving you the rundown of the fun sound, and I'm telling you who's number one. Number one this year is DJ Skills from France. Viva la France! Merci bien! Mon petit chou-fleur. That means little cauliflower. Second, JFB from the United Kingdom. It's about time he won, maybe next year. Third place, K-Swiss from New Zealand. How are you doing down under? Things are great up over. At number four, we've got the DJ who calls himself 14, and he's in Japan. Arigato, Japan! Uh, number five, Kissos from Greece. Number six, Immortal from the USA. Immortal. Come on, lift your game. We want America back up there on top. Mm. Seventh, Datflex. Uh, Walsey, Australia, eighth. 
Tony J. Cook, France, 9th. Nino Leo, Brazil, 10th. 11th FMD from Denmark and Chell. I don't know how this Chell got through at all. He just did the same thing for eight minutes. Eight you know minutes. what I noticed? I wanted to ask you. Yeah, I, when, you, when you speak on your radio style voice, I hear also some of the American guys I remember, like Casey Kasem, that were yeah. big American announcers, and they spoke the same way. I, w- I was just giving you the big kind of uh, um, adrenaline-filled DJ then. I wouldn't do that today. No, of course. Of course not. I, I talk a lot more calmer these days. I was trying to emulate what we were, used to be like. You know, it used to be exciting yeah, of course. Everything was exciting and fresh and new. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's you're right. There were that kind of DJs, you know. Hey, if you want to really go back to the DJ who really did all that was Wolfman Jack. Right. Wolfman Jack was brilliant. I've got a DJ mate who lives in LA called the Emperor Roscoe. I was on Radio Caroline with him. He's doing a show for me now on United DJs Radio. And he still does, hey, it's Amber Roscoe coming down here, you know. He's oh, like the Wolfman Jack way, the, the Wolfman yeah. Jack stuff. Yeah, he's emulating, uh, yeah. I think I, I think he copied Wolfman Jack. He probably will kill me for saying that. But his father was uh, Joe Pasternak, who produced two Elvis Presley movies. By the way, did I show you my photo with Elvis? No, you didn't. Please do. <laughs> Who's the better looking? Who's the better? I was going to say, because you're damn pretty good looking there, Tony. But Elvis <laughs> looks so huge next to you, I, mate. I, I had the same hair. It was just a different color. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Is it crazy? Wouldn't you love to keep everything from that point, including the picture? You'd be like Dorian Gray, mate. You'd be like the Dorian Gray. you got to come to terms with it. You know, I've had a great life. I mean, I'm going to be 45 next year. But that's uh, the next question I was going to ask you. How are you, how are you enjoying this aging process? And, uh, you know? I, I don't mind it, you know. Uh, I, it doesn't frighten me because I know I'm going to die soon. You know, but soon is going to be another. If you think, oh, I've got another five years. And I'm in good health. And thankfully, my wife, Christine, is in good health. She's in the kitchen over here keeping her ear out for me, saying something stupid. Um, we've been together 51 years. So, you know. You, Congratulations. You, That's a testament, mate. That's you, a know, testament. You, can't, you can't ask for too much from life. Becoming president of the Elvis Presley fan club, working on the pirate ships, becoming president. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I, didn't, I didn't even hear that before. What do you mean the president of the Elvis Presley fan club? When was this? Well, that's how I met Elvis on two occasions in 72 and 73, because I was president of the UK fan club. And the, uh, the, the fan club took me over to America to meet him on two occasions. Went to Tupelo, where he was born. We had a civic reception because the Brits had never been serviced with Elvis live in, uh, in Britain. He'd never come to Britain. Really? Oh, oh, that's why we went there. You know, if Mohammed- I had no idea. I thought he went to England. If Mohammed won't come to the mountain, ladies and gentlemen, those 200 fans over there, that's what I said on stage. They let me, Colonel Parker let me go on stage and introduce Elvis. Can you imagine that? that was wow. 72. So and now then, paint the picture for us of what that was like. So you went to Colonel Parker, you were in Memphis? Where are you exactly? Where is this all happening? We're in Las Vegas. Las Vegas, okay. We arrived there in 72. We go to Tupelo. We got 200 fans in tow with us, Brits. Few, few Europeans, and uh, Todd Slaughter was the fan club secretary. He ran the whole thing. We were great mates, and he invited me over. 
So as a Radio Luxembourg DJ, I went over there and Colonel Parker was impressed. First time he'd ever seen Brits come to Las Vegas. It was then called the Hilton Hotel where Elvis had his show. And uh, Todd and I uh, went to see the Colonel in his office. He took over one whole line of uh, offices in the Hilton Hotel. Elvis had the suite at the top, which was where he and his Memphis Mafia parted every night. Anyway, we, we went to see Colonel Parker. We got him like a house on fire. And uh, he, he said, look, guys, he said, you're going to meet Elvis tonight. Um, and that was the first time we knew he was going to let us go and meet Elvis, you know. He said, I can't let all your kids come. You've got too many here. But if you want to handpick half a dozen, take them down to the dressing room with him. And uh, as we were leaving the office, I thought, I'll push my luck here. Colonel, um, is there any chance I can interview Elvis? Get out of here, Mr. Prince. He said, you know Elvis doesn't do anything other than press receptions. We're not doing one-to-one -one DJ interviews. Are you kidding me? Okay. He said, but, and then just as I'm going out, he said, but if you manage to sneak a tape recorder down and I don't see it, I guess that'll be okay. Wow. So there you go. Any photos you see of me with Elvis, you know, you, 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 you'll see a bag. Let me just show you that. Yeah, so you, bought a, you, bought, you had a tape machine with you. Oh, geez. That, Look at that. That bag has got the tape recorder in it, and I've got the microphone in my hand. And as I approach Elvis, he looks at Colonel Parker, and I see Colonel Parker nod and say, yeah, it's okay. So First question? First question out of your mouth, Elvis? Elvis, you've never been over to Britain. Have you got any message for our listeners tonight to Radio Luxembourg? And he said, yeah, I thank them for their loyalty. I love their devotion. And we got to come see him. I know we, we, we're going to come see him one day. But, of course, he never did. Now, the other thing is about that year. As I was leaving the office of Colonel Parker, I thought I'd really push my luck. He said I can do the interview. Now I turned to him and said, Colonel, any chance I can go on stage and int introduce Elvis? <laughs> Give the fans from Britain a bit of recognition. Get out of here, Mr. Prince, he said. Again. But so, so we've been down to the dressing room. We've met Elvis. We've had photos taken with him. There's about eight of us down there. It's just idyllic, you know. And then yeah. we're back upstairs to our table. There's 200 fans now, and they're all sitting at tables where we're all seated. <sighs> now there's a comedian on, and suddenly, uh, after the comedian, Jackie Kahane, was called, when he's finished, Elvis will come on. Colonel Parker suddenly comes through the, um, the showroom, and he's coming straight to me. Mr. Prince, you want to introduce Elvis? You better come with me. What? I haven't even thought about what I'm going to say. Can you imagine that? Yeah, you know, like cold. You don't, you're going to have to jump right into this. Up now, I'm walking behind Colonel Parker like a duck to his death. <laughs> he gets to the door, right, backstage, and there's two Memphis Mafia with guns. This is Mr. Prince. He's going to go front of tabs and say hi to everybody. So that's exactly what happened. They took me to the back of the curtains. All the orchestras there tuning up. You've got the girls ready. Everybody's ready to bring Elvis on. They open the drapes, push me through. I'm now standing in front of the microphone, and I've got a 1,000 people who've paid a lot of money to see Elvis. And they clap me even before I say anything. They just <laughs> – American audiences are so polite, you know. 
So, yeah, I, uh, I, I addressed the microphone. I told them who the 200 fans were. If Mohammed won't come to the mountain, that's a British mountain, ladies and gentlemen. And they got a real big round of applause for our fans. And then, you know, at the end, I said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a DJ from Radio Luxembourg. And they all applauded that because I think a lot of the guys in the audience had been in the army and a lot of them were based in Europe. Right. In, 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 in Germany, in actual fact. And they listened to Radio Luxembourg. So that kind of like, uh, you know, brought back memories for them. So they give me a big round of applause. I so bet. Joe, as a career DJ, this is a big moment for me as I introduce you to Elvis Presley. And then all the claps come. The curtains come back. I'm pulled through. I'm walking down. the Also, Zach Zarathustra theme tune is playing. And I'm walking off the stage. And there, standing on the right-hand side, is Elvis Presley. And he's looking at me, smiling, and going, Elvis was clapping me. Good for you, baby. Wow. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'm showing off now, but it's a big memory for me, you know. Oh, and, uh, hell yeah, it's a great memory. You can't even the king of rock and roll. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we gave him an award um, that year, a trophy from the NME in, in England for three billion sales. And uh, a couple of years later, there was a book came out and it was a really beautiful book on different rooms in Graceland's. And it came to the trophy room and there, the photograph, I've still got two of the books here. There's a photograph of all the trophies on the wall. And there's this silver one from the NME that we gave him there. And right next to the photo is a photo of me and Todd. <laughs> it's not this one. It's me and Todd Slaughter standing next to Elvis. So when I was a kid, I had Elvis on my wall in Oldham, Lancashire. As a 15-year-old kid, right. I had Elvis on my wall. Now I'm on Elvis's wall. Did you ever project <laughs> that that would ever happen? Did you ever dream that? You Never, right? You wouldn't even think you'd meet him. You wouldn't think you'd meet him. But it was a, a sensational um, event, followed by the next year. Tell you a story now. Can I tell you a story? Sure, please do. We went back the next year, and I took Christine, my wife, who was standing over there being very quiet. I took her as well. She looked absolutely gorgeous. And after the show... Right. We've been down to see Elvis. Christine came. There's a wonderful photo of her pouting because she didn't like the Memphis Mafia's guns who showed her downstairs. Uh, that's a wonderful photograph. But after the show, I'm standing there talking to Todd and a couple of guys. Christine's standing a few yards away talking to some of the fans. And suddenly the fans come running towards me. I've seen Joe Esposito, who was Elvis's best man, come out and speak to Christine. And then suddenly he disappears and these girls come running over to me. Tony, Tony, Christine's just turned down Elvis. What? She comes over to me, Christine. I said, what do you mean? You've turned down Elvis. He just invited me up to the suite to a party with Elvis. I said, why didn't you go? <laughs> you imagine that allowing your wife to go. Yeah. I, she did the right. She did the right thing. Good on her. No regrets. Have no. you, darling? No, no regrets. No regrets. She's over there. Oh, my God. Tell me the worst, the worst situation you had to deal with, with with some of these artists. Like, one of the worst that you go, oh, my God. You don't have to mention a name. Like, we just said, I, you know, you really had a, a different 
you know, the framework in your mind was different to, than what they came and presented. Hmm. That is a hard one. You know, my DJs on radio have got PR at the forefront of their activities and you would never fall out with an artist. And I can't really ever remember doing that. I can remember Queen, Freddie Mercury and all the boys coming out to Luxembourg. And as I mentioned to you earlier, they have to stay the night because there's no flight back. And so we parted. We went out for a meal, went to a club. And then uh, one of my colleagues, Mark Wesley, uh, invited them to come to his apartment to have a nightcap. And they brought along their album. Which one? It was the first one. The first one. Okay. Yeah. And I, I was bigging up uh, a band called Sweet, Blockbuster, Teenage Rampage. And uh, I said, hey, listen, have a listen to this album. And I put the, the, the Sweet album on the turntable. And they were very polite. Oh, Freddie said, that's great. Do you want to hear our album now? <laughs> so they put their album on. I, I felt so small because it was so different than anything you'd ever heard before. You knew there was something phenomenal happening, you know. So that was a nice memory as well. Uh, Queen uh, launching themselves and doing PR in Luxembourg. Neil Sedaka, you know, I mean, he was an old rock and roller. Christine, yep. and I, Christine and I had a picnic with him outside the Holiday Inn one summer day with his wife and kid, you know. Little memories like that, so many memories. I got a call one day. Uh, from the Holiday Inn while I was on the radio. Uh, Mr. Prince, I'm listening to you here. Uh, my name is Jim DeKnight. Do you know me? I said, no, Jim, I don't. Should I? He said, I wrote Rock Around the Clock. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Getting a taxi. Kelly in the Comets? Is that Kelly in the Comets? Right? What? Kelly in the Comets? It was Rock Around the Clock? Bill Kelly in the Comets, yeah. That was one of the, the, that was the start of rock and roll, really, the rock around the clock track. So I said to Jim tonight, get in a taxi, get your ass down here to the station, you know. And uh, yeah, so all kinds of memories. You know, I've got a book out called The Royal Ruler and the Railway DJ. You could Google that, guys, if you're interested. It's about my radio career, my life, my early life. But more importantly, it's about a guy called Jan Sestak who used to be a mad Radio Luxembourg listener. So you've got my stories as my activity as a radio DJ, and you've got his stories living in Czechoslovakia under communist rule. Uh, his parents were in a, a concentration camp, and you had to be very careful. If you were found listening to Radio Luxembourg on the Eastern Bloc in Czechoslovakia, you could be uh, taken to prison or even worse. Uh, so we've got Jan's stories about the trials and tribulations of teenagers in communist Czechoslovakia and my high life on Radio Luxembourg and Radio Caroline. So it's called The Royal Ruler, which is my nickname, and The Railway DJ, which was Jan's nickname. And I think it's a really nice book. Self-published, self-written. I, th I hope uh, some of you will buy it and uh, enjoy it. Yes, you know what, everyone? Come on, you know, let's give the royal rule of he what he needs. Get his book. Tony Prince. Jan Sista, is that the DJ, the first disco DJ in the Eastern Bloc, too, or something like that? No, there's another one. I know you're talking about. He does a book, doesn't he? No. Yes, and that's, I'm sorry if I'm getting him confused. Uh, 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 different guy altogether. Uh, he's not in Czechoslovakia, that one. I think he's in Poland. Poor, poor Yahoo. I'm sorry, it's poor Yahoo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
there's a big argument going on here in America with this uh, disco DJ thing here. Uh, he upset a lot of DJs, especially in America. Oh, my God. They called me and said, I just myself from him. because Yeah, I just I went to one of the meetings. Jan Powell. Yeah. Right. That's it. Yeah. Oh, I. That's when you said Jan Sisnak. I said, is this the same person? Now I got the, the difference. And the same Christian name, Jan Sisnak. Uh, it's a book that really tells you why America fought against communism. It really reveals how bad it can be. And that, uh, it's worth reading for that reason. I mean, you'll enjoy my stories, which are all about McCartney and Elvis and stuff. But Jan's story is worth every, every few pages we cut from my life to his life. My life but, to his But what's amazing is, from how I see it, you've been at every piece of the change. Groundbreaking rock and roll, then to rock music, then to, well, let's say the James Brown era, funk and, you know, the funk and R&B. I had right? James to the Royal Albert Hall. You know that, don't you? Yes, I do know that. You know what happened there? We used to get all these big name artists who'd come for free. You know, Alexander O'Neill, Shaka Khan, Janet Jackson, Run DMC, Public Enemy. They'd all come to our event every year just to go on stage, do a tune, and then get off. I invited James Brown over through uh, Scotty Brothers, who were running his label then. In right. And I got in touch with Scotty Brothers, who I knew quite well. And I said, I want James to come to anyway. It turned out I had to pay for him and his manager, first class, to come to London. First class in a hotel in London for two nights. I didn't tell anybody. We've got all these artists on. We've got all these DJs doing the world championships. The Royal Albert Hall is a magnificent venue, right? So we've had all these great artists on. I've now gone to the front of stage. I've got 1,600 DJs in front of me and record company people in the boxes and so on. And you can see the film, you know. But wait a minute. The reason why this is so important, everyone, I have to understand, because all the hip-hop music comes right from his drum licks, right from James Brown. You got it. So you have to understand what he's doing now. So he's not telling anyone that he's got James Brown tonight. Why? He wants to shock everybody. Dead. If we'd have publicized it, we couldn't have filled the Royal Albert Hall more than it was already. So it was pointless telling anyone. I just felt that there was a surprise in store for everyone. And that's exactly what happened. So we've had all these great acts on. Run DMC, Public Enemy. I've gone to the front of the house now. And I've said, okay, everybody, you think you've seen a lot tonight. But I've got to tell you right now. You ain't seen nothing. You're about to see something that you will tell your children about. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome. God is here. James Brown. And the place was, <sighs> And then we started playing James Brown music and on he walks with his suit and his big tie. And he's like, oh, he's blown away, James. He really is blown away. And I've got an, a, a trophy that I gave him from DMC and I handed it to him when things had quietened down. It went on for about 10 minutes. You know, people were just so thrilled to see him. And he was so thrilled to take this love that he was feeling. From I him. bet. No, it was magic. magic. 
magic. And uh, so I gave him this trophy, which was a clock with his world, world acclaim, James Brown, the greatest of all time from the DMC DJs. And I handed him the clock and then he, the, the audience quietened down and he's got the clock. They took the mic off me. He said, I thank God. I thank you. Keep on doing what you are doing and make it funky. <laughs> <laughs> the house exploded again. It was a magic moment. And honestly, I'm so glad I did it. It cost us a lot of money, but it was well worthwhile. But not sing a note. He didn't sing a note. Just came out for the clock, for the trophy. He didn't sing a note. Spent 10 minutes on stage taking the applause. He didn't sing go, hey, ah, you know, that, nothing. No, he danced. Yeah, he did a dance. He did okay. A dance, but he, he, didn't, he didn't sing or anything like that. It was just. Now, everybody. can you share with someone, because he's no longer with us, because people have no clue what it costs to bring over A-class talent. When you when you guys call from to call American artists like a shock or or somebody, what does that entail for costings for you to take that responsibility on? What what are you saying? Uh, you, oh, you're saying you're saying you invited an a, like you invited an artist that let's see let's say present Stevie Wonder. You want to get Stevie Wonder over? Michael Jackson had to come and he never did. I'd have paid him ten thousand dollars just to come. You know, it was so important. This was our big event every year, the World DJ Championships with the Artist Awards, the Mix Mag Awards and so on. Um, James Brown, yeah, it probably cost me about £10,000, about $12,000 worth every penny. Um, you normally wouldn't have to pay that. The record label would pay it if they had a current album out or a record to promote. Scotty Brothers, who he was with at that time, didn't have anything out. So they weren't prepared to pay anything. So I paid. DMC paid. That shows you the, the spirit and the loyalty to the DJ world of DMC. But that's why I wanted you, to, that's why I wanted you to, to tell that. Because people don't know that. They just see, oh, wow, we got to see James Brown. They don't know what goes into you have to coax them to get them over to England. It wasn't like, Oh, you did were in town and just went and grabbed them. You gotta, you gotta sell this, you know? Yeah, but if you say to D, uh, James Brown through a third party, James, uh, they want you to go to the DMC Championships. There's going to be 1,400 DJs in the Royal Albert Hall, which he knows is an incredible venue, and they want to give you an award for services to the DJ industry. Um, yeah, oh, I'm coming. Yeah, who's going to pay? So they come back to me. Who's going to pay? Right, who's, uh, we'll be there. Who's taking on the expense, right? Yeah, we're taking the expense. But you've got to remember, 1,400 people in the Royal Albert Hall are all paying for tickets to be there. So we are potentially making a profit, you know. Uh, all the other artists, the, the record labels themselves pay for. Do you know what? I've got to tell you, we're thinking next year, because we're online, we'll do the DMC Awards again, but we'll do it all online. Virtual? On virtual? Yeah. Maybe I'll get you to MC and introduce all the great American acts. Oh, I'd love to. Are you kidding me? I'd be, I'd be honored. It's not my first time. It wouldn't be my first. I've done it before. <laughs> I've given presentation awards to other guys over the years. But yeah. yes, no, it'd be awesome. I mean, look, you know, Mix Mag, 
DMC, he's a benchmarks, mate. You know, you, you, you lay down a lot of, a lot of uh, ground with that stuff. It's not like, it's not like saying it's a Mickey Mouse operation. These things are still being spoken about today. No, you know, I mean, well, we still got branches in 30 countries around the world who all run DMC's interests in those countries, you know. Who took over the Mixed Mag magazine from you? A company called EMAP Metro, big company. I mean, it was, they were fighting for it against IPC, another big publishing house. Um, how much did they pay, Christine? It was a lot of money. It went about seven million pounds. Yeah. They bought the magazine for seven million pounds, which I think then in those days was about nine nine million dollars. Yeah, it's a lot. Seven million, two dollars. Yeah, no, a little more than that. Twelve million dollars. I, I couldn't retire then, though. You know, I had to carry on. You know, we had a company. We only sold a magazine. We didn't sell the world championships. We didn't sell the DMC DJ club where we send remixes to DJs. Uh, we had to carry on, and we had a family running it, you know. My my company's run by a family. My son runs Ibiza. Uh, we've got, like, Christine, who's the managing director, uh, and you've got Susan, her sister-in-law, who is the general manager, and Tony Sr., who does Dispatch. He's a, a nephew. Sally, who runs the DMCs now, she's also uh, a niece. Um, so it's a family organization, you know. And so I've got a real commitment to keep it going. You know, the I think so. I think you got a lot of employees. You got a lot of mouths going there, a lot of, and a lot of money to be made. Yeah. So now that that goes. DMC still is in your hands. The the mixing operation is still going. Where are we at now in the timeline? Yeah, he needs uh, more wine, Christine. Please. I'll tell you what. Would you, Christine? Just get me a glass of rosé out of the fridge, Christine. <laughs> Yeah, I love. Yeah. Chateau 47, everyone. He's pulling out the special bottle for tonight. Chateau 47. So where are you at now? Where are you at now on the on the timeline of things that you want to accomplish? And because we know what you've done. It's a matter of now where you at where are you going? You'll be the first person to know this. We're going to start DMC radio. Oh, really? Congrats. Congratulations. Already got United DJs for the older brigade. We're now going to start DMC Radio for today's cool DJs. It's going to be completely mixed. There's not going to be any, not many DJs. It's going to be all about great mixing, uh, the kind of music you'd hear if you went to Ibiza. Um, yeah, we're very excited about it. It's something that somebody said to me a few months ago, what the hell have you started a DMC Radio? And I thought about that. I thought, yeah, maybe I've been a bit too busy. But we're going to find room for it and should be launching real soon. Well, I'll give you a little bit of something that's been going on around you. I'm you know, here. cheers. Up until and Merry Christmas, because we're coming out to a Christmas uh, moment. Johnny uh, Fontaine. Fontana. Oh, well, you see. Johnny Fontaine is yeah. the guy from The Godfather who never got that part that yeah. Sinatra played. <laughs> The mate who had a record or two out back in the Manchester Fontaine, days. yes, I know the name. Fontana. Yeah. Wayne Fontana. Wayne Fontana. You know many people ask me, are you related to Wayne Fontana and the Mindbender? I said, no, I'm not related to Wayne <laughs> But I know all about it. It's been asked me many times. Okay, there you go. DMC, uh, radio. Is it going to be launched just internet or are you going to try to do fm or dab any of that stuff i'm going streaming mate because i think streaming is the future 
I think DAB has got a cul-de-sac waiting for it. I don't think it's too expensive. It's too... My own theory is that streaming is where we should go. We've streamed now for three years with United DJs Radio across Europe. I say across Europe, across the world. You yeah, know, we you say across Europe. If you have internet connection, you can, you can stream anywhere. Exactly. Now, you've got a kid in a bedroom who streams a radio show from his bedroom. He can be heard anywhere in the world. Right. I, don't, I don't know how the record industry is going to accommodate that, but they're not going to be able to stop it. So let's get on board. Let's have fun. Well, I was going to say to you was, you know, um, defected records, Simon Dunmore. He yeah. was, yep, Simon, last few years, launched a brand called Glitterbox yeah. and was a B-side room. In Ibiza, they had the defective thing, which was what we talk about, the house, and now house music. And then they started to play disco parties. And what happened was, each year, this thing got bigger and bigger, and it was going back to the original chic stuff, Bee Gees, all that stuff. And an 18 to 25-year-old crowd was getting excited and educated to the music that we all were playing back then. So the question is, do you see yourself launching that DMC mix club again? I know it's a lot of work, but do you see yourself because the disco thing is what you have a lot of people doing re-edits constantly. Can you see it doing it? You maybe don't realize it, but we do uh, CD releases and download releases on dmcworld.com store. If you go to the DMC store, you'll see all those mixes. But you see, the trouble is, when you're uh, marketing your mixes on a website, you've got limitations on where you can sell that product. That's right. You just go straight into America and sell these CDs or these downloads. Unless I had a license in America, which I don't. So, yeah, um, Simon Dunmore is a very savvy guy, you know. I mean, he's very protective about his image. He works very hard. And, of course, his success speaks for itself. Sure. I don't, I don't know. You know what I want to do, Lenny? Tell us. I want to retire. But why? Get, but retire and do what? I want to get on a boat and go on a world cruise and go like that to the music industry. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Wait a minute. So when you're off the SS Minnow and you finish out your world out a two-year run, then what? Uh, go on another one? <laughs> yeah. That, so basically you want to become a captain and enjoy yourself. I just think we've had such a ride. You have? Hey, that's a crazy ride. You've been on a roller coaster. You expect me to go back to the disco days. Um, that's something for somebody else in my team. We have people in my team who are very creative. And if they decide to do that, they'll do it. But we've got so many balls in the air right now. You know, we're, we're doing all kinds of things with radio, with DMC. We've still got the magazine. It's not called Mix Mag anymore. It's called DMC Magazine. I know. I've been in it. I've been in the magazine. My son edited in Ibiza. He lives in Ibiza. Uh, so we can do anything really, Lenny, you know. But whatever we well, do. that's my job. My job as the presenter, I wanted to ask these questions because people are thinking this stuff at home. Like I'm thinking, well, you know, Tony, you've had a lot of success. Speak, it, you know, your record speaks for itself. Nobody can ever take away what you've done. It's benchmarks. People look to those benchmarks even today. Okay. Maybe the medium has changed. 
Maybe we're in a digital atmosphere and we're working in the streaming world, but you can't take away what was there first time around. Well, you know? You're very kind, but I was lucky to be there first time around. Well, you, that, that's also another good uh, feather in your cap. You were there at the right time and you stepped in the right chair. And I, was, and I was forced to become a DJ by the Musicians Union. I was My career as a singer-guitarist, probably a good thing that happened to the world. I didn't continue singing. <laughs> but I became a DJ because the Musicians Union forced it on me. And at that moment, you know, you have something in your soul thinking, you know, how dare they do that to me, you know? And you become very, very focused on the DJ industry. And it's carried me through life, my love for the DJ industry, for the quality of the world that we live in. I think the world has changed. I think we've contributed towards it at DMC. I personally have contributed towards it. But, you know, DJs will always come up with something new. And if they want to go back in time and bring back disco, good luck to them. But we were there first time. And for me, that was quite enough. Okay. On that note, I have to say thank you so much. God bless you. You're the man. Holy uh, smoke. Thanks, Lenny. And God bless to everyone who's watching this. Uh, just uh, another question. Most importantly, with the vaccination, are you going to take it? Of course I am. Of course I am. Definitely. Why? Is there a problem with it? No, no. You yeah. always hear people saying... You get mixed reviews. Everyone's like, oh, I'm not taking that yet. And I just wanted to know what your theory was because, you know, it's all around us, this, this COVID. I, I don't think that the governments of the world would allow us to take that vaccine if it was extremely dangerous. Okay. They want the, they want the world to heal. And uh, I, I would like to contribute to that process by volunteering to have, sorry, the, the wine's now getting. <laughs> it's okay. The truth serum, as we call it. I'm not afraid of the vaccine. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to it defeating COVID. Come on, humans! Yeah, we need it to be defeated, because I need to come back to your side of the world and do what I do. There you oh. go. That would be wonderful, mate. I'm Let's dying. We're all, all the American DJs, we're all like, well, we're all homebound now for a little while. Yeah, Lenny, let's meet in Ibiza and go out for dinner. And we will. We will, we will, and we'll, and we'll have a good laugh. But I, I want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart and all the people. This is going to go a long way, and it's documented. Of course, it'll be on all YouTube, iHeartRadio, podcasts, Apple Music, Amazon Prime. It'll be everywhere. So, you know, this story is awesome, and you are awesome. And don't stop what you're doing. And God bless you and the whole Prince family. Make it funky. Yeah, make it funky, baby. Make it funky. And keep that, keep us... You know, you just keep us on the edge. I know you have some more, as we say, chutzpah left in you. You still got more. You can hear it. I can't, I can't escape from this bloody industry. But Lenny, thank you for having me. And thank you.